welcome to Let's Talk Social Work, the podcast from the British Association of Social Workers. This is space for conversation, discussion with social workers, the individuals they support, and colleagues working in related professions. We consider the key matters affecting social workers as we explore contemporary issues with a focus at the local, national and global levels. Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. My name is Andy McClanahan and today my guests and I will be discussing the vital role played by unpaid carers and the work of social workers in supporting them. It's great to be joined today by Alison Humes, the National Director of Basel Cymru, Claire Morgan, Director of Carers Wheels, and Chris O'Malley, who has been a carer for his wife Annie for the past seven years. Alison, Claire and Chris, how's everybody feeling today? Really great. Thanks, Andy. Good, good. That was Claire. Chris, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah, all's good. Always good. And Alison? Really good, thank you. I'm really happy to be here today. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. And and just just out of curiosity, where is everybody? I know you're all in Wales, but a bit more specifically, I'm I'm in um, a sheltered uh, complex in Neath Talbot. Okay, Alison, are you in Swansea? I'm in Swansea. Yep, sunny Swansea today. Lovely. And I'm in Monmouthshire, which is uh, on the border with England. Okay, okay, and I'm in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So to start us off. Um, Alison, I'd be really keen to talk about the Welsh Social Services and Wellbeing Act. Um, and, and Claire, I'd love to hear your views on this as well. This is legislation that passed in Wales in 2014, and it created, amongst other things, uh, a legal duty on local authorities to carry out needs assessments for carers. Alison, could you start by telling me a bit about this legislation, what it covers and, and what it was intended to deliver? So um, the Social Services and Wellbeing Wales Act 2014 was uh, implemented in April 2016. And really the whole purpose of the Act was to transform the way that that we deliver care and support in Wales. And it it, it, it had a sort of a long run in really. It, it, it the transformation of social services in Wales was happening really for a you know a good decade before the act was was implemented. So so we should really you know be quite familiar with you know some of the the, the principles and the direction that the act was taking us in. So it shouldn't have really come as a you know a, a huge surprise. So the act has some fundamental principles to support the transformation of, of, of health and social care in Wales. And so, some of those really important key principles are around uh, voice and control for the citizens in Wales. So it was really important that, that their voice is really loud and that they make decisions about what their care and support should look like. So that, again, introduced the fundamental principle of co-production so that carers, um, people in need of, of support should be in a partnership relationship, you know, with, in this instance, I'm going to talk about social workers. So it was a partnership relationship to to look at and think about, you know, what that care and support and what those needs are. Um, the uh, Another fundamental principle was, a, was the importance of um, prevention and early intervention so that we're not always dealing with with you know crisis management that we're you know supporting people you know at a really early early stage 
Um, and another fundamental principle, you know, of the Act was about integration. So the integration of health and social care, so that you know, care and support is 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 delivered in a in a seamless in a seamless way. So really fantastic principles that you know none of us can um, really you know argue with. But I think some of the challenges in implementing the Act in 2016 was, you know, we were sort of six years into official austerity measures, local authority budgets, you know, were, were, were being dramatically reduced over that period. Um, and I think, you know, the the it was a strengths-based approach to the Act. So the Act was asking social workers, instead of, going in making decisions about what people need and then delivering a service um it, it the act was asking social workers to enter into what matters conversations to help unlock sort of strengths and capacities you know within individuals and families and communities so there was a transformation in the way that that social work happened as well so some of the criticism of the act is and Professor Luke Clements, who's well known in, in, in Wales, calls it the Austerity Act and says that it talks about, you know, voice and control and it talks about co-production. But what it's doing is it puts the, the emphasis and the onus on, on individuals to take responsibility for their own care and support. And it does, it's, not, it's not being implemented in a landscape that, that supports, you know, collaboration and strengths and, and opportunity. So it was very positive in terms of its intentions, but has it not been implemented um, as intended? Claire, have there been big problems? I think it's worth saying that, uh, you know, we were very excited in Wales. This is groundbreaking legislation. And as Alison said, you know, it was a, a fair bit of time in the making. And as a charity, Carers Wales were heavily involved in the development of the legislation as well. And we're absolutely delighted when the legislation included uh, for the first time equal rights for carers to information, advice and support, as well as uh, the people that they care for. Um, so from a, a carer's perspective, you know, raised expectations to a large extent that for the first time they would be able to access this support. Um, the the th- key thing for us is whilst it's groundbreaking legislation, we fully support the legislation. It's actually been very disappointing in terms of implementation. Alison's already touched on some of the challenges, but I also think there's an issue there around there's no accountability really for implementation of the Act. Um, uh, there's a very scant data collection, for example, in terms of uh, who is benefiting from the services that are provided through the Act. Uh, and as a result of that, Carers Wales very early on actually made a decision that we wanted to review the Act and, and track its its implementation. So we set up a research programme called Track the Act, where we each year ask local authorities and more latterly health boards Uh, how they've actually supported carers. Uh, And then we also ask carers on an annual basis, uh, what support have you had? Have you been able to access information, advice? Have you had a carer's needs assessment? Uh, And overwhelmingly, we have found that uh, carers are disappointed in terms of what they are actually receiving as a result of the Act. So Claire, it's on the fifth iteration of Track the Act, isn't that right? Um, I read that report and it was really illuminating. Can you talk me through what some of the big problems are? What are the biggest issues that are facing carers? 
I think one of the the key things is that many carers don't self-identify that they are a carer. Uh, They just feel they're fulfilling a family duty of looking after somebody they love or they're looking after a friend who needs additional support. And as a result of that, they're often not identifying themselves and others aren't identifying them as a carer. And and so they don't access the support that they could be. Um, and there's a particular issue, I think, in terms of carers uh, approaching social services and, and in health settings where it's not identified quick enough that that person is caring and and could be uh, receiving some additional support. So that's the, the, the first thing. I think the second thing then is the information advice uh, that is out there is so in, incoherent. You know, there's so many different forms of, of information Um but, and it's not cohesive in terms of carers getting a really good sense of what the next steps are once they've identified their co-op, if they need some support, what then happens. Um, so, uh, and then, you know, one of the key issues for us at Carers Wales is, uh, Alison talked about the What Matters conversation, the carers' needs assessment. Many people are waiting and waiting and waiting for a carers' needs assessment once they finally realise they're able to, to access one. And when that happens, they're not, they're not very satisfied with the process of doing the carers' needs assessment. There's often no follow-up and occasionally there'll be instances where carers have told us they haven't had any feedback, they've just been told, no, you're not eligible for any support. Uh, And so carers are left wondering, well, number one, why did I bother? (laughs) Number two, I'm still no further forward having gone through this process. And from the Track the Act briefing paper, I I see that local government, sorry, local authority data shows that only 4% of the carer population have received the carer's assessment. I mean, that's a really shocking finding. It is. And you've touched touched on the fact that some carers won't identify as carers and then don't know. Is is the main problem, I'm sorry, I'm just going to try to get this right in my head. Is it a case that some carers don't identify as carers and then don't think they need to come forward for an assessment? And then when they do some of the information that's provided about assessments, that information can be problematic in itself. So what's the solution to that? I think we would like a public awareness campaign across Wales about who carers are and what support they can expect to access. We did some polling uh, with YouGov for Carers' Rights Day last November and we asked a thousand members of the general public, do you know that carers in Wales have rights to support? And only 7% of those thousand people knew that carers had any any um, access to, to support and, and access to rights. So there is definitely a need there to raise awareness within the general population about the fact that uh, there is support available. Um, was there a countrywide, was there a nationwide uh, information campaign about um, the provisions of the Act or was it left to local authorities individually to communicate that information to carers? There was some uh, initial training that happened with local authorities that was uh, delivered via uh, Welsh Government. But I think it's fair to say that that was very much done in the starting uh, period of the implementation of the Act and that that's not been repeated. And obviously we know that there's uh, turnover in staff, there's you know new carers come on board. Uh, so really there's been a problem in terms of uh, continuity of support and training to people working with carers. Alison, do you want to come in there? 
Yeah, I, I, I just wanted to pick up what Claire was saying about the training. I, I don't think that there was a really good public information campaign when the Act was implemented. I mean, it, it, it it's introduced, you know, groundbreaking changes in the way that, that care and support happens and the public wasn't properly informed. And uh, when the Act was... Im- the, the training of, of key staff only happened in, you know, the, the three months leading up to implementation. And that was, you know, far too far too soon to implementation date to ensure that that key staff who had you know statutory duties and responsibilities under this legislation to really understand you know what what their what their roles were and to understand the legislation itself and i have to confess that you know i was one of the social work trainers that was tasked with with delivering training on the act and and in the end it basically became you know an, a numbers game that there was no real depth and quality to the training because it was about getting as many you know staff through this training because we know we are on top of implementation and you know we we raised you know Baswa Cymru raised some of these concerns and issues when um there was the parliamentary review of health and social care which was undertaken in Wales it was an independent parliamentary review which took place in 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 2017 um so so there wasn't a, an adequate public information campaign the training was inadequate, and I think another one of the problems does lie in those what matters conversations. It's, there's no real clarity about their legal status. You know, they are a what matters conversation is an assessment, and it needs to be named as an assessment. And social workers have to understand that that's what they're doing. It's it's a legal assessment, but also carers and those who need support need to understand that what's happening in that moment isn't just a conversation. It is, you know, it is an assessment and there are you know legal duties and responsibilities and accountability that that flow from those conversations i think far too often uh, there's an assumption by carers that it's an assessment of their ability to care uh, whereas you know we're constantly trying to explain no it's an assessment of what your needs are to help you continue to care and therefore should be a supportive thing and i think because there's that feeling um i think in some instances social workers shy away from saying this is a legal assessment because they don't want to put carers on the back foot they want to them to relax into the conversation and describe what their their needs may be but the upshot of that is that many carers are confused whether they've actually had the assessment or whether they haven't had the assessment and many are fed back to us we don't understand what the process is um you know we've talked about how we can support carers more effectively to prepare for some of those conversations when they know it is an assessment so they're they're better prepared and better able to talk about what their needs are and just to dis- then dispel some of those myths or to improve understanding Alison could you talk us through what the the assessment actually in, in, entails what sort of questions the social worker is asking the carer could you go through that and, and unpack that a little bit Yes, so so the purpose, you know, the main purposes of the assessments are to to understand, you know, what would help a carer um, continue in that role, and, and one of the important questions is, you know, uh, are, are they willing and able to undertake that role? Um, and then it's not just, you know, in the present that the the assessment also needs to understand if if you know a carer is able to continue as well. So they they may not have present needs, but they're exploring their their future needs also. So and and I have to say, you know, a what matters conversation that type of assessment is as individual as the person that you're dealing with. So again, I think the whole the the, the change in approach was about that personalised approach. So there isn't it, it's not formulated 
formulaic and process driven. But really, you know, what you need to understand is, you know, first of all, that you are a carer and that you meet the eligibility because there is national eligibility criteria. And, and what is it? What is it that will help you, you know, continue either currently in this role or that will support you, you know, in the future to undertake this role? Because you can undertake a carer's assessment before someone even is 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 in that role. And again, that's a that's about you know the the the, the prevention and the early intervention. So if someone is 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 looking to become a carer, again, they can approach um, a local authority and say, you know, I, I am I, I am looking to become a carer for you know for this this person um could you assess you know what my needs will be, how you can support me in 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 remaining in this role so it it should be you know it, it should be individualized it shouldn't be formulaic but it, it it's about really understanding what it is that person needs so what are their resources you know their internal resources what are their family resources what are their community resources how they can tap into those and then what are the additional things that you know our local authority could do to support that person in 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 remaining as as a carer I think it's also worth just explaining as well that the carer's needs assessment can, is supposed to be reviewed on an annual basis because we all know that the, the carer's experience of caring is fluid. It often changes, there's change in circumstances. So it should be reviewed at least annually or if there's a change in caring circumstances. So, for example, if there's been a hospital admission or something like that. Uh, and many, many carers have, tell, have told us that they've not been offered a review of their carer's needs assessment. Can you be more specific, Claire? Do you know percentage-wise how many people are getting an annual review at the moment? Well, as you said, only 4% of carers are actually getting a carer's needs assessment. So it's it's much lower that, than that in terms of the number of people getting a review. Sure, sure. Chris, you are a carer. You care for your wife, Annie, and you've been a carer for seven years. Do you want to tell us a bit about your experience as a carer? What's it like? Um, what are the challenges that you face? I, I've been a carer since 2014. And, you know, my first um, experience of the Act was around about the end of 2016 to 2017, where I attended um, a, a seminar. And, you know, I just found it very um, ambiguous what was being said. And I was concerned that from, from my point of view, if I sort of track back a little bit, prior to becoming a full-time carer, I was a social work manager. And um, I found that the act was a little bit ambiguous. Um, there were people who were in the audience of the seminar who just didn't understand what the what the basics of, of, the, of the act were trying to say. Uh, since sort of um, to move on now since since being a carer i've had two assessments um the first one was in 2017 and then the last one was a month ago i have had no review during that period there's been many changes in our lives during that period and you know, it's it's just been a matter of of, of muscle through it. I'm I'm one of the lucky ones. I've got a voice, and I've always intended on using that voice, and I use that voice for Annie. Uh, and therefore, you know, I'm I'm not afraid to challenge, and I'm not afraid to sort of stand up and say, look, you know, 
I looking at my own self, looking at I'm, I'm doing a self-assessment, I need this to be able to care for my wife. And you know, then it boils down to um who takes up the reign of that. Now uh, in 2017, I was assessed by a social worker, and the assessment was a formal assessment, and I knew it should have been a formal assessment, and everything went through as it, it should. My last assessment, and please, I'm, I'm not trying to um, put down anybody's experience or anybody's um, qualification, but my last assessment wasn't done by a social worker. My last assessment was done by a person working within the carers organization here in Nice. And it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. I've also found there's, there's a lot of difference in interpretation between local authorities and how they interpret certain parts of the act. Um, just to give you an idea, I prior to move into the, I was on direct payments. My wife is on continuing health care. Being on continuing health care, she doesn't qualify for direct payments. But my carer's assessment highlighted the fact that I needed space and I needed time out from caring for Annie to enable me to recharge the batteries and to have some vitamin D. And so therefore, I, I was given the 15 hours and, you know, I, I, they were so valuable, especially after three years of only going to my balcony to, to see the world go by. And, you know, when I moved then to Neath Batalbert and I found myself without my direct payment and without be, uh, the ability to go out and, 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 you know, sort of have that time out, Again, like I, I felt myself sort of stumbling. Because there was no review, because there was nobody actually holding on to the case in Swansea, there was no transition. So nobody from social services, nobody from the direct payments department got in touch with Neith Potarbert and said, look, you know, this guy's coming over. Uh, can, you know, can we sort of do a handover with you? So everything had to be done from scratch again. And, uh, you know, I found myself, uh, especially during COVID, actually speaking to machines, speaking to people who were saying, yeah, but we don't give carers direct payments. And I said, well, you know, you're saying that, yet I had it in Swansea. What's the difference? It's just a difference in local authorities. It's not a difference in need. And, you know, this carried on for weeks. And it's actually taken me since September to get a yes that I will get my direct payment. Yet still, we're in the middle of January and still they've not, they're not online. Um, so, you know, I'm actually paying my old PA out of my own money for now to enable me to go out and, and, and get that fresh air, to get my, my footprints up to 3,000. Whereas at the, you know prior to that they were on like two hundred and fifty. So you know, I, and and as carers we need that. We need to get out. We need to be able to to um, recharge those batteries. So it's it's just that there seems to be still um, a lack of understanding and a lack of information around what the act is actually going to do 
for our sanitary carers. There's still a lack of information and understanding as to what the carer's life is like from the time that he wakes up in the morning or she wakes up in the morning to the time they go to sleep. And, you know, nobody knows that. They see you during parts of the day where the door opens, they come in and they see you and yes, they can see what you do and you tell them what you do. But when that door closes, your life continues. And it's that, that, you know, I think that the, 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 the assessments that encapsulate your whole day, everything that you do, even your sleeping hours, you know, I wake up in the middle of the night and I have to check on my wife to make sure that everything is okay. You know, and one of the biggest worries, make sure she's breathing. And, you know, and this I've done for six years, but nobody knows that. Nobody sees that as part of the assessment. And I think that's, I mean, I think amongst the public in general, Chris, there is a lack of understanding of what it means to be a carer and what that does to you in terms of your energy levels, just in terms of your your ability to, to socialise. I mean, from a personal point of view, my mum is a full-time carer for my sister who has a learning disability and, you know, she's on 24 seven with with my sister and it's I don't think it's it's just beyond the family it's not recognized quite what that what that means and I can see what as she gets older I can see the impact that's having on her and she does sometimes listen to these podcasts so she's getting older I didn't say she was getting old uh, mom so uh, but yes and I think it's something that there needs to be much better awareness of amongst society I, I was looking Claire you can keep me right on this uh, the carers UK stats is it 6.5 million carers across the UK? There was there was two stats. There was 6.5 million, and then I think there was another that was based on the 2011 census. There was another one uh, which was based on a ONS data and some um, some other survey, and it was looking at I think about eight eight million carers across the UK. Is that right? So yeah, our our caring behind closed doors reports last year gave updated figures because uh, there's another 4.5 million carers uh, since the start of the pandemic because obviously many services either reduced or uh, closed altogether since the start of the pandemic which meant that carers have taken on a lot more responsibility um but again we know there's many new carers who have no no idea about the support that's available um And I was just reflecting on some of what Chris was saying. And I I literally, a couple of days ago, had a carer say to me that a social worker had told them, but you're the family member. You're supposed to do this out of love and duty. Uh, And, you know, she was just horrified because, you know, as as you said, Andy, you know, caring 24-7 and it's relentless. Uh, And, you know, we know since the start of the pandemic in Wales that 60% of carers have had no break whatsoever over 50 percent have told us they're more stressed now than they were before the pandemic started and you know many carers are at breaking point it's absolutely critical that we get them the support that they need I think far too often there's an assumption in in society and in communities and in families that people will just take on that care and responsibility Um, but we know there's less support available through the NHS there's less support available through social care because of um, budget situations uh, and as a society, I think we need to better recognise the huge contribution of unpaid carers across, you know, across the whole of the UK. Now, within Wales, we know that unpaid carers have saved the Welsh society about thirty-three million pounds a day during the pandemic, if that care had to be replaced by health and social services. So it's about time that we recognised that these carers need support. Um, and that's all of our responsibility, not just health and social care, but within communities and families too. And just coming back, Claire, to those Carers UK figures, there's also a, a gendered dimension to this. I think it's 58% of carers are female and 42% are male. 
just I suppose it's a question for Alison. Social work is a disproportionately uh, female uh, uh, workforce. Um, I think in Wales, you told me it's 94% female. Is that right? So there'll be many social workers who also have a caring responsibility outside of their, their job. This is going to be an issue for the, the profession as well, internally. It, it, it's, it's an issue for the profession. And it's one that, that, you know, as a national association, I don't think we, you know, we talk about enough. And as a profession, we don't talk about enough. We also know that the average age of social workers in Wales is 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 46. So, you know, we're looking at social workers with potentially, you know, caring responsibilities, either end of the age spectrum. And I mean, in in, in an attempt to address this, we know that we have Senate elections in May, and we've developed our manifesto um, in Basra Cymru. And one of the things that we're asking for is an independent review of social work in Wales to, and one of the things we're asking them to look at is, is, you know, the, the impact of a, a highly gendered workforce. And, 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 you know, there is nothing, nothing, you know, wrong with, with having a, a, a gendered workforce necessarily, but, but I think employers need to look at and Welsh Government needs to look at what are the needs and how do we support this workforce? Because, again, speaking personally, you know, I, I, I'm a registered social worker, um, but also I'm I'm a carer too. You know, I, I have a, a, a child who's developed uh, a, a, an eating disorder during the pandemic and I have an older son that has, uh, you know, mental health problems and sometimes he's very unwell, sometimes he's well. You know, my mum has developed, you know, um, heart failure over the Christmas period. So we're all of these things, aren't we? You know, we're not all we're not just one thing. We're not just a social worker and we exist in a, in a bubble. You know, we're all we're all different things. And, and some of those things are, are we, we are we are carers. And I think some of our best hopes um, around the, 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 the carer aware and bringing together uh, unpaid carers like Chris and, and, and social workers in the same space is to have those really open and, and, and honest, you know, conversations about, you know, those those differing roles and some of the barriers and some of the challenges. Thanks, Alison. Um, actually, I wanted to move on now to talk about carer aware. Claire's spoken about, um, you know, one example of a social worker that didn't seem to understand the, the needs of the, the, the carer or the challenges that they were facing. Carer aware, that's a project which is intended to bring carers together with social workers. Can you tell me a bit about what it aims to achieve? So Care Aware is a joint project between Carers Wales and Carers Trust Wales and it's Welsh Government funded for three years and it's all about improving recognition, respect and support of unpaid carers in both health and social care settings. Um, we're obviously focused on the social care element today um, and really what we want to try and do is work with both social workers and carers to say how can we do this better? You know, we've we've identified already through things like Track the Act, you know, feedback from social workers themselves some of the, the the complexities and the frustrations about getting a productive work and relationship and, and getting positive outcomes so this project is very much focused on solutions and how we can make this better for all involved so we've been running a number of focus groups we're going to be developing tools tips and, and principles for both carers and for social workers to support them in this process and then we'll be rolling out some training with social work professionals um, We'd ideally like that training to become mandatory. We would love it to be, you know, the case that all social workers and people working within that area would do this training um, and hopefully get to a position where we do see more of those positive outcomes. 
And you mentioned there developing guidance for social workers. I, I, I was reading the, the inquiry by the, the National Assembly for Wales, the, the, the Health, Social Care and Sports Committee. They did an inquiry into the, the effectiveness or the implementation of the Act. And part of that inquiry, they, they mentioned that Social Care Wales intended to publish a new toolkit for working with carers aimed at improving the consistency of the assessment process. Has that been produced? Because you're talking about producing guidance, Claire, through Carer Aware. Has Social Care Wales produced that guidance? Yeah, so we're really delighted that both Social Care Wales and British Association of Social Workers are partners in this project. Um, Social Care Wales did produce um, the uh, toolkit back um, well, more than a year ago now, um, but it is very detailed. Uh, and I guess what we're concerned about is social workers already extremely busy um, and we want to have something that's more bite sized that they can digest, you know, more, more effectively within their day to day work. So uh, what we're looking to create is more of a summary and we'll also be producing some video content, which hopefully, hopefully will be easier for people to, to access. Alison, in what way do you expect Carer Aware to benefit the social work workforce? I think what what Claire said. I, I mean, the resource that's been developed by um, Social Care Wales is 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 a brilliant resource. But I think some of the challenges for social work in 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 terms of you know working conditions, we 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 know that that demand is is huge. We know that that there's big numbers of presenteeism that means that social workers are in work when they should be at home sick we know that on average they work 11 hours above their contracted hours per week so any any tools and resources to support them in 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 being more care aware need, need needs to be um very accessible um and as claire says you know bite size something that they can refer to easily and doesn't become you know onerous so it needs to be, they need to be robust but also not you know not onerous so you know this is exactly what you know this project is about it, it's it's developing you know support guidance principles and tools which, which are going to be very sort of user friendly for for both you know practitioners but also for unpaid carers so i was going to mention alison you you mentioned their presenteeism uh, and sickness that goes far back beyond COVID. I wouldn't want anyone listening to think that was something to do with COVID. I don't believe that any social workers are turning up to work with COVID symptoms. Um, no, no, no. Sorry, Claire, you were going to come in there. I was just going to say that uh, really delighted that Chris actually recorded a, a short film for us that we used at the the start of our social work focus groups, and I think that's that really um, encompasses what we want to try and do through this project. It's lived experience and, and making it real for people, and, and thinking about how, as human beings working with each other, we can improve that um, for each other. And is there anywhere that listeners could see that film? Uh, not yet, but there will be. Um, we, we're actually going to be launching a website in February um, and we'll be making all the resources available through that. Tremendous. Do you know what the, the web address will be for that, Claire? You can either go to Carers Wales's website or Carers Trust Wales's website. We'll both be launching uh, the same resources in February. That's great. Um just in terms of other government activity, um, the Welsh Government, it's committed to producing a strategic action plan for carers, although that with many other initiatives has been delayed, as I understand, by the COVID-19 pandemic. What specific issues, uh, Claire, do Carers Wales hope that that action plan will address? Well, I think absolutely critical for us is carers having 
increased recognition in terms of long-term planning for health and social care in Wales. You know, I think the pandemic has absolutely demonstrated the critical role. Um, We see them very much as a third pillar of health and social care in Wales. And as a result, we would like to see unpaid carers included in long-term planning and funding allocations as well. Recognition that carer services are vital to support those unpaid carers to continue alongside our health and social care professionals. Yeah, and Track the Act, it recommends longer term funding cycles for regional and and local carer services and to, to promote the mainstreaming of funded projects. What are current funding arrangements like in Wales for carer services? If, you, if you're calling for longer term funding cycles, what, what are the current funding cycles like? You know, most of the funding cycles that fund carer services are based on an annual funding allocation. And many of those don't happen until into, into the financial year, which really inhibits uh, future sustainable funding for carer services. We would like to see much more mainstreaming of carers uh, support through health and social care budgets rather than a a bolt-on or a a last-minute add-on where there's budget available. And what does a long-term funding cycle look like? Are you talking three years, five years? We'd like to see a minimum of three years. Okay. And you you feel that would bring an awful lot more stability to the services that can be offered? Yes. And I think at the moment, you know, health and social care professionals tell us, well, we don't know where to refer carers because uh, projects will end and then we refer somebody and and actually that service no longer exists. So it would be helpful to everybody if there was that continuity of service and clarity about where people can access support at the moment. Because I said, like I said, it's, it's project based. It's very hit and miss in terms of continuation. And one of the other issues that was flagged up by the Welsh Assembly Committee report into the implementation of the Act was that there's a huge amount of churn among the social work workforce um, and that this has caused problems for carers. I think there was an example in that report of um, one um, individual who'd had five social workers in a, in a very short period of time. Chris, have you any experience of, of the churn in the social work workforce? And if, if you have, how has that impacted your experience? Yes, and, and you know, it's something that, you know, as, as a social work manager, I... I I could see was what was happening anyway and you know it's something that I didn't like and I and and you know it was there and it happens and sometimes you can't control that but as a carer I can actually see the consequence of it and the consequences was was quite damaging towards what you viewed the local authority as being um you know I had an incident where I I wanted to contact my social worker and if this was probably after about six to eight months after my assessment. And I found that she'd moved on. Yet I hadn't been told by the department that, you know, this had happened. And, you know, it's... And what what that affects then is is the continuity of, of um, knowing that there's somebody there and knowing that you've formed a relationship, knowing that you've, you you... You feel easy to be able to contact them and, and tell them about your, your the problems that you may have, and this is what mm-hmm. this, this is what concerns me because you know it's hard enough for a carer to actually say that they're a carer. It's hard enough for a, for a carer to actually um, put up with uh, the problems that you get as being a carer. But when you've got situations where you feel that your care that you're providing for that person is beginning to wane or you're having problems, then, you know, you you need to be able to trust somebody that you can turn to. And if you've built up that trust over a period of months or years, then all of a sudden they've disappeared. 
you're starting all over again. It's very hard for a person. The other part of it is actually accountability, which comes along with that. If somebody has assessed you and that assessment, um, say, in my case, it, it enabled me to get my direct payments, then if after a 12-month you're reassessed and the assessment is, no, you, you, we can't pay you anymore, or the financial assessment based upon it says, okay, but you, you have to give us 50% of, of what we are, we are giving you for direct payments, you can't actually turn to that old social worker and say, what's going on? You know, can you help me with this? You're dealing with somebody new who has actually sort of assessed you as different to that first person. So then there's the accountability side. Um, and, you know, that's those are the issues that worry me. And yes, I know it's throughout social work. Social workers come and social workers go. They change disciplines. They move on to other authorities. You've got um, agency workers who come in and go out. You know, and that's where the concern is. But also it's um, on the accountability side. Um, I found that I was being signposted at first when I was assessed this time because I was assessed through the Carers um, Association here. And, and I found that I was being signposted and not listened to what I was saying I needed. I went I went into that assessment with one need and that was to, to recharge, to get out, because I was happy with everything else that was happening. But I found myself then being signposted to different things that you know I dealt with and I can cope with, you know, and, and yet, you know, it was there, it's part of their their job to do that. So, you know, the, there's this is why I feel that, you know, the, on the accountability side, it needs to be carried out by a social worker, by a local authority, so that, you know, they can answer the questions when things slip away. And I know there's no easy answers to the issue of churn in the social work workforce in Wales, Scotland, England or Northern Ireland, Alison, but are there any any things that you think that would make a difference without changing the whole system? We've got to address working conditions for social workers. You know that Baswa, you know, has undertaken specific research into the working conditions of social workers. You know, in, in 2017 and 2018, you know, we have really good empirical data. Um, some of that is, you know, is 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 captured in in some of the asks in our manifesto. So I think, you know, an independent review of social work in Wales. We need to also look at, um, you know, paying conditions as part of that. We have twenty two local authorities, you know, in Wales, and at any point, you know, one local authority can decide to uh, implement, uh, you know, a market supplement and and social workers because of the 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 how densely packed, you know, different local authorities are. It's easy for social workers to choose from any number of local authorities to go and work for for a short, short, you know, period of time because they're attracted by the market supplement. So one of the things that we're looking at, you know, is a, is a, is a national pay structure to try and overcome, you know, some of the issues that are arise through, through, you know, things like the market supplement and how that impacts on churn. But we also need to attract more social workers into the profession. We need to do something about, you know, social worker status and, and the way that, that they're, you know, valued and perceived, you know, by by the general public. So, um, you know, lo lots of work that we can do, really. 
I was just going to add that, uh, you know, from what Chris said, the relationship between carers and social workers is so important. Um, and our Track the Act research found that 91% of carers found the information that their social work worker gave them useful. That's that's really high compared to other sources of information for social work for carers. Sorry. So um, if we can get that relationship right, it's so valuable to carers. If if we can encourage more social workers to, uh, you know, work with with carers, provide uh, them with the support, it's it's hugely appreciated. And just looking forward then to the coming months and um, maybe past the summer, if we do return to some sort of normality. The Carer Aware Project, will that become again a sort of a, a real world people in a room together discussing this, Claire? Is that the ambition? Absolutely. We really want it to be based on you know people's lived experience. Uh, we've already had a huge number of social workers take part in both focus groups on a survey that we've had running. Uh, carers themselves have been giving us uh, information from their experience. And I think that uh, it, it, you know we want it to be based on you know, day to day, we don't want it to be theoretical. <laughs> we want it to be how can those simple things that you're able to do on a day to day basis really make this so much better for everybody involved? Yeah, one of the things I wanted to add to what Claire was just saying is um, I think it's really important to share really positive stories as well, because there will be stories of of you know really fantastic relationships between carers and social workers and really positive outcomes, you know, for, for unpaid carers. So I think, you know, we need to celebrate and we need to share those stories, but we also need to use them as really important, you know, moments for learning. So so what was happening, you know, in this relationship? What was happening in this instant that made it so positive so that we can take like I said we can take the learning out of that and share it I completely agree I've got to say that um, the, the social worker that sort of handed the assessment over to to um, the carers association here um, she's been wonderful and you know she's um, I would say that, that I, I as a manager I, I would I would love 15 of her you know um, because you know, the first thing that she did was um, to actually make me feel as if I was doing something that was important. And, you know, um, so I, I'm, I'm certainly um, not knocking social workers, especially seeing as I, I still see myself as one. Um, but as a as a carer, you know, I wear so many hats in the daytime, you know, sometimes I forget what I am. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, I, I think the relationship with social workers is important. Um, I feel myself that, you know, to be able to actually contact your social worker and say, I need help and have the confidence, the trust and the faith to be able to say that is fundamental. Thank you, Chris. Thank you so much for sharing your experiences. Claire, Alison, thanks for sharing your expertise and, and your knowledge on this topic. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much. All the best. Bye. Bye.